0: Everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside with Billings and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us today the current coach of WTA professional Katie McNally. His name is Kevin O'Neill. Kevin has been a successful professional tennis coach for almost thirty years. Kevin has a Bachelor of Arts degree centered in history from the University of Utah. Also has extensive educational work from both Pepperdine University and Clemson University. Welcome to the pod, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your day and uh, telling me your tennis journey.
1: Uh, thanks, David. Well, uh, probably when I started playing tennis it was back in the heyday, basically, of, of tennis, especially in the United States, as far as people playing, people playing at clubs. When we moved from L.A. to Sacramento, um, my parents joined a club in Sacramento named Rueda Delora Racquet Club, and they started going to play tennis all the time and they didn't do that up until when we until we moved to Sacramento and being a curious kid my sister and I oh where are you going we want to go we always had a babysitter everyone. they have to play it was Wednesday night round robin and basically I kept bugging him enough and then they brought me one time and they told me to not to bother the adults we're, we're playing and I just went down on the backboard hit with a uh I still remember the name of the racket. It was a spalding racket and called it was named Wimbledon Special. Had two <laughs> broken strings. But I went over to the wall and just hit on the wall and goofed around there. And I always had fun. And the tennis pro sought the head pro at the club named Don Lowe. He sought my parents out at the Windsor At Round Robin and said, ah, oh, you gotta give this kid some some lessons. He could be good. And that's kind of how I started playing.
0: So, it all starts, so many stories, and so many people I've had on their journey start like, like I said, either an older sibling or their parents bring them out to the club. You start hitting on the back backboard, you know. Brad Gilbert loves hitting on the backboard, he talks about I that all the, time, all the time. Um, you you had obviously you played, and we're going to get there in a minute. You played for two legendary coaches, and Coach Crease at Clemson and, and Coach yes. Fox at Pepperdine. And before we get to that, I mean. Talk a little bit about your junior career and, and, and you know, through your education, how you started at Utah and then continued, you did some stuff with Pepperdine and Clemson as well.
1: Well, in my junior career, I my I was always one of the top players in, in Northern California, like a top five, top 10 guy. And started in the 10, I got ranked in the 10s, and then they got rid of the 10s when I started coaching for a little bit. I was got ranked in the 10s in NorCal, 12s, 14s, 16s, all the way up. Got into the, about top fifteen in the country. He Was ranked about two in the two in the United States in doubles for two three years in a row with a a friend, a good friend of mine, Alex Naze from Southern California. But um, my coach was, uh, and, and I still call him coach, and he, he's a, one of my closest friends, Steve Stefanky. He coached me, and um, we had some pretty good success. I mean, I, I my prime, my biggest win, even in my entire career, probably happened just before. Andre turned pro, but I was able to beat Andre Agassi at the tournament in the Fiesta, called the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona, which big they don't tournament. have anymore. I think that back then it was a huge, it was a big tournament. It was always big after No way!
0: You said to, to interrupt you for a second. You said Steve Stefanky. Is that a relative of Larry Stefanky?
1: Yeah, they're brothers.
0: Okay, Steve's okay, because Larry brother. played. He coached a lot of people, including well, John McEnroe. Yes, yeah. well
1: Larry, Larry, and Steve and Larry are the reasons why I started kind of coaching and first it was was steve and then larry was coaching Marcelo rios at the time on the pro tour and my dad was a pilot with united airlines and so i mean i was able to play and travel and do some things in the juniors and i and and to place place a little bit professionally and uh i really liked to travel and then i i started helping people when i went back to finish my degree and it happened to be at the university of utah would have been Pepperdine but they didn't have enough history courses for me to finish within a year and when I went okay. back to fi- finish I wanted to finish as quickly as possible and my um, counselor at Pepperdine he said he'd help me find a school that could, would take majority of my credits from Pepperdine and I could probably get done in a year and University of Utah happened to be the school fortunately okay. for me Steve knew people in the area because he had done uh, he, they'd flew people in the area flew him in for doing clinics and stuff and gave gave talks so i had new people there right away and i had a great time um there for a year it was a good right experience, now, i know we're
0: kind of jumping around and that's my fault we're jumping around a little bit okay. to, to go back to juniors right you beat a guy that everybody knows it was a huge tournament yeah. back then andre um yeah how did that kind of did that result what age group were you in there was that the result the kind we of- were
1: i was in the 18s he was uh, just one. Think national indoors in the 16s, and he was basically within a, a, a year or six months of basically turning pro. Yeah. And um, I just you know, I mean, I I, I had a big serve, I served him volley, not not necessarily every time, but I served him volley quite a bit. And I I just I had I had a very good day, and Andre probably didn't return quite as well. And you know, it's I think it was tough because you know you he didn't know me from in the in the 18s and i didn't really know him so i think that was a little bit part of it but i happened to play well he's a great guy really good really good guy and
0: that's that's so cool he had a great career yeah yeah he did no that's awesome that you had that experience and can share that story so college you played for two legendary coaches you had Coach at clemson you had alan fox at at pepperdine you also played with someone who i no, he's been a previous guest on the pod. A funny story. You know, Robbie Weiss, who won the NCAA, is at Pepperdine, he right. won state. He played freshman with his brother. I think they won state as doubles as a freshman. He won singles as a sophomore at Glenbrook North High School in Northbrook, Illinois, right. where I'm currently helping with that staff. I've, I've helped with that team for a number of years. Um, he had an unbelievable junior career, including getting like six world number ones after. Yes. Um, he only played high
1: school for two years. But you know Robbie pretty well, right? Yes, I do. He, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great player. Um, tough as nails. And he's, a, he's going to be, do a great job at Clemson and he's a really good coach. So he'll have I nothing agree. but success there. I,
0: I, amen. I, I agree a hundred percent. He's, he's done a great job wherever he's been. And now that he's, you know, he's taken the helm over at Clemson, he's going to do a great, great job. Yeah. Wow. And,
1: and one of the best attributes Robbie is he's just, a, he's a really good person and yeah. he's a good, good kick, good character, good morals. And those are some of the foundation you want to have, and even to be any kind of coach or a teacher to anybody. So,
0: Agreed. agree. And, and I generally, in any industry, let alone tenant, it doesn't have to be, yeah,
1: a, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, now I, I guess through your experiences, um, with the coaches I just mentioned, they obviously had to play a important part in, in you getting into this role. Was this something that, after you were done playing in college, that you knew you wanted to do right away or did it kind of fall? No,
1: into- I, it was, I didn't know I was in a coach really. I mean, when I went back to finish my degree, I started coaching just to make some money and, and Steve had connections in Utah. So I was able to coach the, one of the past Mark Jensen. He used to coach the women's team at university of Utah back in, back in the day before I was even there. And uh, so I helped kind of coach his kids and the clubs wanted me to help out. And I started helping out from time to time and, and I started to enjoy it. And then there was a professor that I gave lessons to on a, a regular basis. And he, he just mentioned to me, he says, you know, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I said, I don't know. I was thinking about going to law school. My sister was a, a, went to law school and my best friend, one of my best friends, Alex Nizay, who we were ranked like two in the nation and then doubles, he went to Cal, but he, he went to ended up going to law school and he was in law school at the time. So I decided, well, I I'm, I'm, I was interested. I went to, went up to visit my sister at Willamette university where she was doing her law degree. And I liked some of the courses I just sat in, even sat in when Alex was in, in some of his classes in, in Sacramento, where he did his law school. And uh, I said, Oh, I'm going to do that. Well, Little did I know when I was finishing my degree, I really started to like coaching. So I took a job to help run a club out in the Hamptons in East Hampton for a year. A friend of mine went out there to run the club. I was helping him and I was coaching, and and I I love. It was a great experience living on the East Coast. Is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. I wanted to see what it was like to live on the East Coast. A California kid growing up in the East Coast where it snows, you know, in the winter and the whole thing. And it was a great experience. Loved it. But at this, at the same time, I didn't, I started to realize I didn't want to do this necessarily this type of coaching on a full-time basis. And I missed the competitive side a little bit. And um, I missed a little bit of being able to to travel a little bit. So I was talking to Steve. We came out, um, there's a gentleman who lived on the East Coast that would come out, former professional coach and, and probably player. And I cannot remember his name, but he was an older guy. And I met him when I was a kid in Napa and uh, he had passed away. So I went to the funeral with Steve and we had, we're having dinner after and started talking to him about things and what I was thinking about doing. And he, he, I remember him saying this vividly. He said, yeah, I was wondering when you're going to make that decision. So he kind of thought probably I was going to get into coaching at some point. And uh, so when he said that, I basically two weeks later, Quit the quit the club. As in October, drove back to Sacramento and started my own, own business, helping Steve a little bit. Napa with some of the nationally ranked kids he was working with, and then I was started coaching some other nationally ranked kids throughout north northern San Francisco and Sacramento area. And uh, then Just I sort of
0: snowball. Just sort of snowball. Yeah,
1: and Larry was coaching Marcelo at the time, so Steve and I kind of started. Saying, hey, we'll collaborate. A little bit with some maybe some players on the tour so i went out and traveled a little bit with larry and marcello and then steve came out and basically not long after that i started working with a young guy named marocco labazzi who was very very good very talented player from the georgia republic and uh, that's just how i started to kind of get into it i mean big help probably obviously from steve steve and larry and uh I mean, I've been having conversations with Alan about coaching and different things when I was there and never really had those conversations with Chuck. But, you know, all those things are experiences why I kind of just went into that avenue. Oh,
0: 100 percent. No, super, super cool. And, and, you know, many people know you now as the current coach of, of Katie McNally. Talk about that family a little bit. How did you get um, introduced to that family? And I know, and I know you work with both. Um, Katie and her brother John who was a fantastic player he just finished at Ohio. Oh, State.
1: yeah yeah he, he just finished at Ohio State and uh, well that, that was interesting let's say Lynn and I work with the kids together Lynn when when the kids are home or Katie Lynn, Lynn
0: is their mom yeah
1: she's a she's a very good coach and when I first met Lynn I started coaching a girl named Alexa Glotch. She was 15. She's just coming off two broken arms, a broken right elbow and a, a left arm in a scooter accident. And at the time when she got hurt, she was about two, 215 in the world. And um, she, I started working with her, but then she had this accident. So she's coming back. And we were going to play some tournaments, indoor events in the fall, which where there were more of they're not as many as there used to be. But we decided, oh, let's go to Cincinnati and we'll stay at the McNally's. And because Lynn was at a club, an indoor facility here, and uh, we'll practice there indoors and kind of use it as a hub for these these tournaments to come and practice and, and then go out. So that's what we did over the next few years as Alexis re-emerging back on the, on the WTA tour. And that's when I got to know Lynn and John and Katie. Katie was just a little tight, four years old, and John was six. And Lynn and I hit it off pretty well, right away. I mean, same morals and values for his family. Her husband's a really good guy. Lynn was a good coach. We, we talked tennis a lot. And we saw the game the same way. We would use obviously different words, but saw the game the same way wanted the kids to play, you know, an all court game, an attacking style game. Lynn was, Lynn was all for that. That's how she coaches. That's how Steve who coached me. That's how I was coached. And fortunately for, for us, a guy like Roger Federer's coming up and, and that's what's successful. That's what is winning the, the grand slams. Some, some form of an attacking style game, whether you're an all court player like Roger who can serve and volley and do those things even Rafa can, but Rafa was still more baseline forward type of a player. Djokovic baseline forward. But that's what's winning on the tour. And, and Serena is the same way. Yeah. So that's what I've always believed. And that's what Steve wanted me to believe. And and that's that's high play. It was, it's, it's a lot a lot of fun to play an all-court game because you can do everything. Yeah, But it, take, it takes a little longer, too, because... Serving volley, when does, when does serving volley, you know, coming up with half volleys? You have to practice every shot. When you're an all court player, you, you you can't leave one shot un, unpracticed because you might only hit three half volleys in a match, but you better be able to execute those half volleys or you're going to end up losing. Those three points might be huge. Yeah. So you have to spend some time to, to work on those things. A hundred percent.
0: And, and, you know, a lot of people know Katie plays doubles with, with Coco golf. Yeah. We're going to talk about Coco. We're going to talk about in a minute, but <laughs> I want to go back to a, a huge match that, that Katie played, um, that a lot of, uh, you know, well, pretty much almost every tennis fan remembers. It's a couple of years ago in the U S open in the second round when she played Serena and, you know, to, before I ask you specifically, uh, you know, psychologically in sports, confidence plays such a huge role. And I think especially oh, for, for example, uh, you know, you'll take a guy, you, let's say you play in Rafa on clay. It doesn't have to be a Roland Garros. It's just Rafa on clay that match. 98% of the guys have already lost before they've left the locker room because they just right. don't have that belief and don't even know it. And you know, when you see young, young players play against legends, especially same country, right. Maybe a lot of people right. look up to them. Um, it's overwhelming. And yeah, I remember absolutely. one quote, I remember one quote, they were talking to you and, and, and Katie played Serena so tough. Katie lost the tough three set match in the second round and at the open. And I remember, I don't know if it was in the newspaper or it was a live interview they did with you. And I, and it really stuck with me. And they said, you know, how did you prepare Katie to face Serena in this atmosphere? And you said, she's not facing Serena. She's facing, she's not playing Serena. She's playing the tennis ball. And when you look at it like that, um, it can frame your mind differently where, oh, my God, facing Serena Williams at this, you know, in this atmosphere in New York, the U.S. Open, isn't overwhelming when you frame it in a different way like you did. And I, I thought that was really, really good advice.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, of course, you're you're playing Serena. And actually, if you're to me, if you're going to play Serena, you're probably going to play her in that atmosphere over some uh, – other, I mean, obviously it's great to play her at center court at Wimbledon or the, you know, center or Philippe Chartrier or in Australia and, in, in there uh, Rod Laver, but it, it, New York has that air that, that, the, the electricity and we're they're both Americans, it's the U S open. If you're going to play her, that's, that's the cool, that would be the neat place to play her. And, um, But if you think you can start thinking about who you're playing and and the atmosphere, I mean, it's the largest court tennis court in the world state for a stadium. It's 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 a mammoth size. And um, if you start thinking about it, it could I guess it could overwhelm you. But you got to you got to simplify. And basically, you're only playing the the tennis ball and the court right there. And if you can if you somehow can relax and, and zone in or get in the zone. So all you will basically you see, eventually see is just the court.
0: What's interesting to me, what's interesting to me is that that Katie won that first set. And so many, when you see an example of this or similar scenario, the underdogs down 4-0 in in seven minutes, they don't even know what, what happened. And I think it's so important. And you'll remember this obviously way more than me. There was a long game. I think one of the very first games of long game where she was serving and she wound up holding, I believe. If right. you get broken very early, that's where those 4-0 in, in seven to nine minutes happen like that.
1: And oh, you know, absolutely. It, it happens. It doesn't, it doesn't even happen. It, was it happens in any match or anybody. Yeah. You play. I mean, the biggest thing I think for anybody is you want to get off, if you can get off to a good start as far as how you feel, how you're playing. You have energy. Um, and you've been able to go after your shots and then those things. So you're not thinking you're just going out to play your game. Your job only job and Katie's is the same as I need to execute my game. I need to make sure I'm attacking and dictating. It doesn't matter. I'm playing Serena. I have, if I'm not doing that. I'm going probably going to lose. Yeah. So have- I,
0: I think I just wanted to hone in on that first game because if she gets broken or anyone in that similar scenario gets broken, that could have went South very early in that game that went a long time. She held. And again, she won the first set within a tiebreaker, I believe. But um, that, that game was huge. It's just as far as letting her relax and breathe and, and play.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it, you, when you get over the hump, especially with, even if you watch here at the French open, I mean, if you, when you hold in a tough game, the other person sometimes will maybe be down themselves for a missed opportunity, and they don't move on, and then they get broken. Pretty, and they get quickly. broken
0: right away. You see that and pattern that, all that, of the time. All that of that happens.
1: Part. That happens a lot. That's why it's. We talk about it all the time. Even me, Coco, Corey, all the people who were around. Whether you know, Haley Baptiste. I mean. You got to stay in the moment. You have to play and do what you do. And you can't get them caught up in the score because technically you're playing. Yeah, you, you want to win every point. Every point can be its own, own match in a way. So make sure you're going out competing, trying to play every point the way you need to play it for your game. Then that's not going to be possible all the time, but that's what your goal is. Every point. So every, every point is worth technically just one. Right. And I know there's sometimes there's some bigger points than others, but if we start thinking, well, this is a big point, man, we're probably going to get tight. So just make sure you play your game. You're not going to change your game. God, this is a big point. I'm not going to serve in volley. And I've been serving volley the whole time, but now because it's a big point, I want to play it safe. You're probably going to lose. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And usually playing things safe gets you. Not at this level, man. Not at
0: this level. You're going to lose at this level. Not at this level. Yeah, you're going (laughs) to lose.
1: So. It's better always kind of go for it. And then, uh, what I've been telling Katie a lot now, and she's really starting to hit the ball. It's unfortunate. She, she hurt her calf here at the French, but you got to go for it. Not hold back. You're oh, going for it. This You're level. Trying no to way. Trigger game. You play to win every point. Don't worry about it. Keep playing to win. Keep, keep encouraging yourself and keep going after it. And if you do that, in the end, it doesn't matter what level you'll be able to relax and you'll be able to go after your shots. It's when you start thinking and trying to play safe. Cause then there's, you know, in the back of your head, when you would, you, when you would practice, you'd be more relaxed. So you would go for those shots. Well, why wouldn't you do it? Because you think it's, a, think you have to win or that's so important now that you can't now it's so important because now you can't play. That's, that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you're still playing a game and that's the hard part when you get on the tour or you're playing at the professional level, The court's the same size. The balls are the same size. Rackets are the same size. Some rackets might be a little heavier than others because we all have them weighted at different places, but basically everything's the same as the the park court. So go out and just play. Go for it. Don't worry. It's better to lose doing the right things for yourself because then you can get better. But if you lose playing safe or holding back, you can't, you can't get better. You have to change that mentality to, in order to get better with your game. And it's better to have that mentality. Then you can work on your game.
0: Yep. And that, and that what, what you're saying applies for all levels too, right? I mean, it starts yeah. from, as a young kid to playing on the pro tour. It's a lot easier said than done. And that takes hours and hours and hours on the practice court and hours and hours of playing matches to get over that hump. Like you're saying, Kevin.
1: Well, um, I mean, I, I would think about it this way too, is everybody thinks practice is important but everybody plays pretty well in practice usually i mean you'll have, everybody's gonna have their, their bad days whether they're practicing or at a tournament you'll, you're gonna have them that's just the way it is but people are more relaxed in practice of
0: course no consequences. On the line. no consequences no
1: consequences exactly but technically your practice is way more important than the tournament because the tournament's supposed to be like you get to go to the party now yeah so go have fun playing. all the hard work is
0: done on the practice court
1: Yeah, so make sure you have the same mentality you have in practice as you have in a match and then you don't worry about it. Just keep going for it. If you go for it in practice, make sure you go for it in in the match because if you're not, then you have to change your mentality because also you're probably looking at the wrong things too. Yeah, You can't look about, I know, yeah, we're trying to win and lose and it's very important when you hear about it in the media, oh, this person won or people are picking who's going to win or where they should get. None of that means anything. The bottom line is, the person that plays their game more consistently will probably give themselves a higher percentage chance to win. And yep. that's all you do. And exactly. that's why Serena, she's always in the past, especially, she's always been the more aggressive, more dictative player. She's not worried about going for her shots. She'll even go for some second serves. And We were in Parma and she's going for second serves. She lost, but she's willing to put herself on the line and go for it. That's better. If you're going to lose, lose that way. You can learn and went, oh, this shot needs to get better, but I'm going to continue to go for it. Now you can get better. Her mentality I, hope all is right juniors
0: are, I hope all juniors are doing it because we instill it. But, I mean, you're hearing it from a, a professional tennis coach here playing with one of the best young players out there and Katie McNally. Um, I mean, it, it again, it's easier said than done. It takes a lot of practice, but it's so, so true, and that's how you're going to get better. And like you said, if you lose, you're playing your way, you have no regrets, and you're going to get better if you lose yeah absolutely you're not practicing you're going to have regrets all the time and you're never going to develop
1: I just remember when I was in the juniors I mean maybe the mentality as a whole with parents and and USTA per se or uh, that 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 whole genre from junior tennis yeah it was we wanted to win but nobody really talked about winning like it is now and uh Steve never mentioned winning, just like John Wooden. We're big, Steve Stefanke and I are big fans of John Wooden. He never mentioned winning. He mentioned doing, do, do make these shots, do these plays, uh, simple stuff, do the things that you can control. Well, that's all you can do. If you can control what you're doing and you get able to execute on a consistent basis, you're probably going to give yourself a chance to win. Yep. And if you think about it that way, it's so much better, but, Steve was great that way. Alan was great that way. I mean, I know college, even because John's coming out of college, there's a lot of emphasis on winning, you know, winning, winning matches and getting, the, getting to four and all that stuff. And it was the same when I was, I was playing. But I see, I see even just watching from afar, college coaches, these players, they're not playing a game that's going to win at the pro level. And then they, get, they emerge out, out on the tour especially from the American side is like, God, that, that's not going to beat Ra. How are you going to beat Rafa playing that way? You're playing the same way he is, but he's so much better at it. Right. <laughs> you're not going to beat him. You're going to be dead. And, and the other thing is the tour you're playing four weeks, four, sometimes six weeks in a row. How are you going to keep it up? Your level somewhat consistent and still somewhat be as fresh as you can be in that fifth and sixth week. You can't, you're grinding too much. You're going to be dead. You won't be able to last. And that's, uh, that's, that's the thing about the grand slams, two week events, the players that are the most efficient, they play freely and they have an attacking style game are the ones that usually having success, getting to the quarter semis finals winning. Yeah, no, that's, that's that are-
0: great. That's, that's great. Great advice. Listen, I'm, I know, unfortunately, Katie recently got nicked up. She's not going to be able to play with, um, yeah, in Paris, but, we, you know, the tennis world loves when those two uh, players join uh, join forces and play doubles. They've had some incredible yes. success. Again, they just won Parma a couple of weeks ago. Um, right. Talk about how that partnership
1: came about. Well, at the time, Katie in the juniors was playing with uh, Whitney Segway and they were having a lot of success in doubles. And uh, but uh, Whitney was a little bit ahead of Katie, or not well ahead. She she had turned pro and wasn't going to play the juniors at the U S open and Wimbledon juniors was going to be our last event and Katie and Whitney Coco and a couple other American girls were playing a friendly in Eastbourne before Wimbledon against Great Britain. And so with the WTA was going on the tournament in Eastbourne. I was a WTA coach. And so I got a credential, got there early and so I could watch Katie and stuff and, we knew K- uh, Coco. She knew Coco, but they didn't, they weren't super close or anything. But they were very they were friendly. And Corey was Corey was there, and we we were somewhat friendly. We'd say hi. And, and Katie and Coco just played the Junior French Open against each other and whatnot. And um, so Whitney wasn't going to play doubles that afternoon. And I was I said I hope they put. I was telling Katie I hope they put you with Coco because you guys I think will mesh very well. She has a big serve. You can move a lot at the Nets. And you guys both return. You guys are attacking style players. Um, And I think you guys would mesh pretty well. And we, I said, we should think, I mean, if you guys perform well and you like it, we should think about asking her to play for junior U.S. Open because we were going to play juniors, whereas Whitney was going to play the pros. So that's kind of how it transpired. I think even there that day or within at, at Wimbledon, we 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 all talked. They, Coco was all for it. Katie was for it. So that's how it happened. And they basically, they won the Junior U.S. Open. They they played well. They meshed really well. They got along. They get along really well, and they got along really well. And then our, our next event technically was uh, Washington and uh, the Citibank Open, mm-hmm. and um, we were going to play with another good friend of ours, Iga Swiatek, and that's who Katie won the Junior US French Open with. And uh, we were going to play with her, but we, we ended up finding out we probably weren't going to get the wild card because Iga wasn't an American. So I said, "Coco, or, Coco, Corey, let, let's play." They said, "Yeah, yeah, of course, let's want to play." And uh, they they won the tournament, and then the rest has been history. I mean, we, we try awesome. to play. We're gonna, they're gonna try to play. I mean, ideally, it's really a neat situation because they get along so well. They have so much fun together playing, but they get they, with they have fun together off the court. Corey and I, we all get along, then we all get along really well. They say the game, they see the game the same way. And we actually have a lot of fun together. Our practices are really good when we all practice together. It's it's one of the I was telling Corey and I was telling Katie and Coco, I said this is one of the most unique situations I've been around on tour, especially from the American, from the American side, because you guys are competing against each other, but you guys actually really like being around each other and then practicing and training and, and playing together. So that that's that's really a neat situation.
0: No, that's great. And like I said, I hope she gets healthy. I hope Katie gets healthy really soon, and they could get back on court uh, together sooner rather than later. So with yeah, that- we are hoping that. Kevin, thank you uh, so much. You know, I wanted you on on the pod for quite a bit. Glad we could connect up. I know. Um, go follow Kevin. Go follow Kevin on Instagram. Both Kevin and I are big fans of Robin Williams, so he always puts some great inspiration. Oh, yeah, yeah Robin's there. great. Um, but uh, Kevin, uh, uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your day, and um, thanks for sharing your journey, man. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, my my pleasure, David. Any anytime you guys want to talk, I'm happy happy to talk whenever I whenever I, we can pull it off.
0: We'll, we'll take you up on that offer. Thanks so much, Kevin. We'll talk soon.